You're listening to Five Things with Lisa Birnbach. Hi, it's Lisa Birnbach. You know the portmanteau for the classic breakfast and lunch is brunch, right? That's how we got the word brunch. And now it's a real word on its own and includes mimosas and or maybe a Bloody Mary. Well, in my family, when we sometimes had pancakes or eggs for dinner, the exhibits used to call it Brinner. Today, I am coining the term, wait for it, sprinter. That is spring that feels like winter. Sprinter, trademark pending. Sprinter, save for one heavenly day, it's been a dreary time and I wanna put my parka away, but I don't dare. And also, I'm wearing it right now. Well, never mind that. Today, our guest is Caroline Hirsch, the comedy impresaria and the producer of a new film opening Friday called Ask for Jane, which I've seen and which I urge you to see. But before she joins us, let me do my list of five. After all, it's Lisa's five things. Okay, number one. The staff and doctors of the neonatal intensive care unit at NYU Hospital. I never met one of them, but they took swift and good care of my son's son. It's famously a great division of the hospital. My son and his lovely wife were a wreck while their baby was in the unit and not with them, but they got the best possible care and they helped fortify my kids' moods when they were low. And now the darling Bambino is home! And I'm very grateful. Number two. That would be Doris Day, who died yesterday. Stars shining bright above you. I was going to say you may not know who Doris Day was, but then again, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably know very well who she was. To me, she was just a dream. She was a wonderful actress. She was a wonderful singer. She started out as a, as a singer. In the 1960s, she was the number one box office star for four years in a row. Nobody is that anymore. She was a huge draw, bigger than, you know, for her time, bigger than special effects and Star Wars and rockets and stuff. And in her role, she was in, I believe, 40 movies in 20 years before she retired, but she was not just the cool Alfred Hitchcock blonde and the man who knew too much. She was, you know, a playful singing advertising executive in Lover Come Back with Rock Hudson. Her voice was honey. I can hear it in my head. She was cute in a realistic kind of Kristen Bell way, freckled, button-nosed, slim. She could look gorgeous, but she was attainable in her beauty, nothing exotic or incomprehensible. She lived for 97 years and devoted the last 20 or more years of her life to animals, particularly dogs. If you've never seen her oeuvre, check it out. She was really, really a gift. Dream a little dream of me. Number three. We went to see David Sedaris give a reading over the weekend. And I've enjoyed his work in the New Yorker magazine over the years. And I've seen some of his This American Life's 
but I wanted to see him in person because I understood that he is just a phenomenon amongst published writers in commanding an audience of 700 or 1,000, most nights of the year or as many nights as he would like. I think the night we went was his third sold-out night. Indeed, Town Hall was sold out, and that is rare for a writer to be able to do that. His anecdotes all concerned things, weird things that happened at book signings or readings, you know, anywhere from Alaska to Europe. And I wanted to see the magic. And really what the magic is, is him, a man of a slight build, who is a very good story writer. And a lot of his stories take you on a couple of unexpected turns before the ride comes back to where it started. So he held the audience in the palm of his hands. And I enjoyed seeing him very much. I have a feeling that everyone at Town Hall Sunday night has seen him before. I just have that feeling that the audience seemed to really know what they were going to see and loved everything he did. Every gesture, every nod, they just were screaming. They loved it. Have any of you seen David Sedaris read or perform? Tell me if you have and what you think of him. You can always send me a note at lisabernbach.com and add to the conversation. Number four, the one pretty day we had, I enjoyed walking amidst the greenery and the shrubs, but really what knocked me out were the birds. The birds were chirping so loudly. I felt like I was in nature. But I was on the Upper West Side. But it was birds. More birds. I mean, birds. I guess they're like New Yorkers. They just have a lot to say. The thing that I love the most is the comforting sound of the morning dove. Well, nature. We still have it in New York. Enjoy it while we have it. Which kind of brings me to number five, which is Bill Nye the Science Guy. I like him and I admire him. He's been making science fun for years, something that Mr. Milliken failed to do when I was in his biology class. And let me just say, to protect him, his name was Mr. Milliken. I'm protecting me, not him. I was so turned off from science before I finished high school. And yet, I read the science section of the New York Times every week, and I read it thoroughly. When you're told in school that you're bad at something, you give it up. You give up on it. Maybe I would have been good in science if I hadn't been taught by unskilled teachers like maybe Mr. Milliken. Bill Nye does more than make science fun. He reminds us that science is real, that it matters, and it's not some woo-woo liberal hokum. So he was my number five. And now... It is a treat to welcome Caroline Hirsch. Caroline Hirsch is the chic and sleek comedy impresario in New York City. You've probably heard of Caroline's Comedy Club if you don't live in New York. If you do live in New York, you know that she has the headliners at her club and has been, I guess, promoting comedy for years since before comedy really took over television, not to date her. Also, <laughs> Caroline is the producer of a new film opening momentarily called Ask for Jane. It's opening Friday when this podcast will be up and out. Ask for Jane, and we'll talk about that in a moment. I don't want to give away what Ask for Jane is until she gives it away. Caroline, welcome. Welcome. Thank you. 
We've known each other a while. Yes, it's been a while. I think we met through the Creative Coalition. I th- um, yeah. Way, way it has back to be when. over 20 years ago. Yes, and I remember going to your clubs down at the South Street Seaport. Yes. On Broadway. And where was the very first one? The first one? one was on 8th Avenue and 26th Street. Oh, right. Uh-huh. Right. And all those clubs of the time, Catch a Rising Star, they they closed. The Improv, yeah. The Improv. Yeah, they clo- yeah, those showcase clubs closed and others opened. But, but I've been doing this for 35 years, so it's a long time. But how did you get to be Caroline? Because you sort of burst like Athena, fully dressed, fully done, you know? I don't mean the way you're dressed, which I've always admired, but I mean the fact that from day one, it was headliners. It was the bigger names. It wasn't the little showcases. How did that happen? I think, we, I think you know, at that time, my two partners and I wanted to present the best of the young up-and-coming talent at that time. And it was a time when David Letterman was going on at 1230 at night, and we kind of fed off a lot of the different performers, comedians, his contemporaries at the, that time, like Jay Leno and Jerry Seinfeld and Gary Shandling, who were on David's show. It was kind of the mindset of, you know, 30-year-olds then mm-hmm. and of this new observational humor that was coming about. I, and we kind of, you know, I I enjoyed it. I watched David when he when he had a morning show. Right. Um, so, and I watched Rich Hall on the morning show. We're going back to old old names. Listen, here. I saw I saw Richard Lewis perform at your club a million times. The lipstick from hell and the I, I remember the routines because they were like nothing I'd ever heard at that no, Richard, time. Richard's great. Richard's still appearing at the club. He comes back like once a year to do something. Richard was always very prolific. He was the kind of guy that would walk down the street and write a joke on his hand when it came to him and he would have it. He always had a new set set every time he came into the club. He was very good like that. Oh, he was so funny. I mean, really like my pain in my sides laughing mm-hmm. seeing him. But I also saw strange, well, strangely wonderful um, um, the filmmaker from Baltimore, John Waters. Yes, yes. We did a lecture series and John was one of the Which the was a great idea. We we experiment with lots of different things that are entertaining with a comic bent to it. And John certainly is is a comedian. <laughs> he brought along Squeaky Fromm's yearbook <laughs> <laughs> and passed it around the audience. I mean, you couldn't make that up. I know. <laughs> and then you were kind enough to produce Loose Lips. That's right. When I well, did. your show. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You did that. So it's been it's been an incredible run, but through it all, there have to be considerations. When there's too much comedy on TV, is it bad for live performance? They say that, but you know, it's like it's like the band having the big hits. You know, when you hear a a band and you hear their song, you want to go see them in concert. The same has come true about seeing comedians on TV. Mm-hmm. You are now familiar with them. You now are introduced to their act. And you want to go see them live. Mm-hmm. So you know, um, we're very lucky. I'm very lucky right now to be in the live business. I also have Carol, you know, Caroline's on Broadway, but I also have the New York Comedy Festival, which right. happens in November, and those are all big live events around New York City. So people want to go out, and it has a lot to do with, you know, we have our streaming services that we love. But and we have our phones that we love and our computers. But there's a time where we want to go out 
and be with a community of people and live events give everybody that well there's nothing like there's no there's nothing like seeing it live i mean the laughs you can hear an audience laughing, but you sometimes on TV feel left out because there is a look that you missed or there was something that happened in the room that you missed. And being there is just so much better. You can't beat being there. You just can't. Look, I I love it. I, I love sometimes I wait when I, I know a particular person's on stage and I want to hear a certain joke. I mean, I'll walk into the room just to wait to see and, and look at everybody's faces when they say that joke because I know they're going to be hysterical laughing so yeah yeah no it, it, f- fantastic it, fantastic i can't even count on seven hands how many times i've been to your clubs mm-hmm. because you know i love i love to laugh so how do you feel about this guy in minneapolis who's letting louis ck come back well you know he's probably um, uh somebody you know because it's a small enough world right i I don't mean Louis C.K., I mean the club owner. I heard about that. Um, you know, I think, you know, what Louis did was not right. Um, I think that Louis did apologize for what he did. I don't know how long we need to to ban him from doing what he's doing. Um, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, he needs some forgiveness down the line. He's He's not a totally bad man. Um, so I think that something's got to give soon about him. Um, I'm hearing now that um, they're collecting people's phones so that nothing can be repeated from the yes, room. Yes, I've which heard is a, that. Which is something that a lot of comedians do right now. If they um, collect the phones before somebody goes into the room because they don't want their material out there. They just don't want people tweeting about that. You know, so a lot of comedians are doing that now. Wow. So that's so that's the future of comedy, which is kind of. Mm, protective. Well, we're just so politically correct today. It's gotten to be, you know, nobody wants to take their chances. And and things taken out of context. Ab- exactly. Look you know what you... happened to Al Franken, right? Oh, Al. Yeah. That was so mean. Oh, I, I'm so mad about what happened to Al. So me too. Knowing but... him, knowing him, what a good visiting guy. him in office. Yes. You know, with the Creative Coalition. For, for for the you know the National Endowment Day of the Arts, um, you know it was just a shame what happened to Al. But when he was running originally for Senate against Norm Coleman in Minnesota, the Coleman team kept pulling out like an article he wrote for Playboy thirty years before, twenty years before, and out of context, yes, it would be it would be rude or or mm-hmm. stupid or s- insensitive, but. Take the context. He wasn't in politics. He was a comedian. Mm-hmm. You know, if I guess if if a bit got out that Louis C.K. had said in an act while he's trying to get back, I suppose that's unfair to him, too. On the other hand, people are going to be more critical of him than they are of John Mulaney or somebody who's perceived as a good guy. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it is a hard time to be a comic. And and people like Jerry Seinfeld and Chris Rock have said they won't do colleges anymore. Well, because everything has to be so politically on target and the right thing to say. And sometimes a joke is not. It's sometimes it's just not. Yeah. And it's hard to be politically correct and out and out funny, isn't it? It really is. It is. But, you know, I'm look. I deal with this daily now, so 
this is probably a headache it's, it's, for you. It's for... turned, you know, we do a lot of private parties. So if a private party is doing a company coming in, they worry, HR worries about, oh, did he say something about a woman? Right. Not in the right tone. So everybody's worried about this. So I think we've taken it just a step too far. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. It, you wonder also, what is the term of punishment that is befitting to him, to somebody else, uh, Aziz Ansari, is he allowed to come back and have a career? Yes, he's back. He is <laughs> Aziz, back? Aziz is back. He's back touring. There, I think, you know, um, uh, the judgment on him was uh, a bad date. And I think that that was blown way out of proportion about a bad date. Um, and people can apologize. And I think men are learning. Men are learning more about how to treat women. And that's okay if they learn. I mean, you know, not yeah. everybody's perfect. Right. Um, you know, it, it, and it's fine. And they're young men, too. I mean, you can't compare, well, 20-year-olds and then you're 40-year-olds. So, you know, what Louis did, he was a young man, and he really did not have any power at that time. So that's another thing that's that an I will say point. about him. Okay, he did that not have I didn't the power. Know. That he no. now does. Right, mm -hmm. right, so. right. And And look, what he did was bad. And he acknowledged that it was, um, but he didn't touch anybody. Now, he still traumatized people. <sighs> yes, yes. But <laughs> let's, not, let's not parse it. His, his little demon. <laughs> okay, just what's his real last name? Uh, Szelinski. Oh. So I, I, I'm, I'm butchering his name. That's not fair, so... Yeah, it, but it's it, but it's a, a name. Yes, it it's is. just a name, yes, yes. and it's a, and it starts with a C. No S S. So what's with the C K? That's that's his thing. Louis C K. Mm -hmm. Louis C K. Okay. Um, so your transition to film producer is as natural as that segue. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, honestly, you know. honestly, you you are an entrepreneur. You are able to option books and be part of the creative process with people who aren't in comedy. Yes. And you have, you're, you're making your uh, producing debut with a film that is not a comedy. No, it's not. It's, uh, it's a movie. It's called Ask for Jane, and it is a scripted story about the Jane Collective. And the Jane Collective was a group of women in the late 60s at the University of Chicago who helped their classmates get safe abortions. Abortions were illegal in Chicago, in Illinois at that time. And this and was, it starts in 68 or 9, 68, right? 68, yeah, yeah. About that time, the girls were in school, and one of their classmates tried, the true story is one of the classmates was really going to try to kill herself. And one of the girls came to her and said, let's see if we can fix this so you can stay in school. Right. You know, it was, you know, right now, you know, we take it for granted and young women take it for granted about their rights to their own reproductive health. Mm -hmm. But at that time, there it was outlawed to do anything. So people, women turned to the mob to get these very expensive abortions. And lots of women were dying from it. You know, in the movie, you, you, you see where a young woman takes things into her own hands and, 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 ha and swallows rat poisoning. So these were things that people did. These were people that self-induced abortions themselves and then bled to death or went to the emergency room. So this is about women's health. Nobody wants to have an abortion, okay? Yes, but and in the movie, which I saw, um, 
the women who are providing them are in no way saying, hey, you should have sex with your boyfriend and with any guy you want, and then if it, you get pregnant, if you have an accident, we'll fix it. It wasn't like that at all. It was it was the the young women were very sober about it and very serious and very worried about their classmates who felt they had no way, nowhere to turn. If my parents see this, they'll throw me out of the house. If my, my mother's Catholic, uh, my boyfriend's Catholic, my boyfriend's running for office and he's Catholic. You know, every level of, every threshold of what you can imagine would be a nightmare for these kids. Or I go to Catholic school and I, I can't go home tonight. I mean, I, I feel the movie very well portrayed that terror that these young girls had of no options. Well, if you, um, a lot of women have seen the movie already and, um, you know, Planned Parenthood is behind the movie. The National Institute of Reproductive Health is behind the movie um, and it's partnered with us. And when you, when this movie goes in front of women of a certain age, they remember those days and they remember how frightening it was if you thought you were pregnant. Oh my God, I won't be able to finish school. I have to leave school. There was where they sent girls away to homes to have the baby and then put the baby up for adoption. So there were all different means of having it. And I remember being a young girl being terrified that I might be pregnant. Terrified. What would I do? Mm-hmm. And, and what I liked about it also was that there were women in different stages with different points of view. There was there was a nurse who was pregnant who was who joined in with the Janes. There was a woman who had to have the baby, had to marry her abusive boyfriend, but she she got joy from being helpful. The way these girls organized the Janes was really impressive because they were at the University of Chicago, never an easy school to get <laughs> get through, a slide through, and yet they were working out, pooling their money, drive, uh, front house, people driving, some people counseling, and they threw the women who joined them right in without any kind of mm-hmm. hesitation or training. They were, they were great. They were, they were great. And, um, you know, I was lucky enough to meet to meet one of them. And, and Heather Booth is coming up this weekend to do a talk back after the movie on Friday night. Friday night, the movie opens and Friday during the day at night. And it's at the Village East Theater here in New York City. So come out and see it. If you can't come, just still buy a ticket. Yes, exactly. Now, how how many Janes were there in the collective at one well, about time? About seven or more, but there were seven that were uh, that were caught one night, and then they were threatened to be, they were put in jail, and they made bail, and then, and then they go to trial. They go to trial about because of what they did. Right. Um, it, it, and there's, there are several points in the movie where we are told that a group of three or more people discussing abortion is like a plot for manslaughter. For manslaughter. You can be, three people are in a room talking about abortion. You're up for manslaughter. So <laughs> it's pretty scary. It's scary. And listen, guys, you know, Georgia and Alabama are talking about taking us or taking their citizens to that place. I know. And that's that's what's so relevant about this movie today. And I think you and I know you know, about what happened. 
um, and you and I have had the rights, and young, we we gained the right. We didn't have it all the time. Right. We gained the right, but young women today have always had this right, but this right could be taken away, which is quite dangerous. Uh, Gloria Steinem saw the movie, and she gave us this wonderful quote, is that every American should see this this movie because of what could happen. Absolutely. You know, the other thing I feel that needs to be said all the time is that women don't have abortions for fun. Women don't have abortions as birth control. They have it when they have no other options. It's not Mm -hmm. something that people take lightly to all the People don't men, take it like it. Men who want to prevent women from having this uh, uh, custody of their own bodies. Mm-hmm. It's a serious, it, painful, and, and, and scary it's not, thing. It's, it's scary, and it's the beginning of taking away other rights. So what comes next? You take away the right for women to have birth control? Is that next? Well, I think that... You know, this is how you wear down hand. at your rights happen. So we all need to come out and we need to make sure, you know, we living in New York, we have got a great state here, but there are other states and the women need to come out and they need to vote and they need to get, you know, their Congress people and their, their senators to just vote the way, and, and make a stink. Well, even in the reddest of states, I think women still appreciate having that decision making. I think so. <laughs> I, I think so. I think, I mean, what do I know? But that it seems to me that because women don't take it lightly, because it's not an easy decision to make, because nobody needs to have uh, strangers harassing them when they're doing something that they've thought about. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the thing that that sort of hurts when you see the protesters outside of Planned Parenthood or other providers uh, screaming at the faces of of the women who are going there, maybe only for checkups, by the way, uh, maybe absolutely. not for abortions. Absolutely. And throwing jars of fetuses in their in their faces mm. is this isn't easy. It's not easy to be a woman anyway. No, nope. but nope. to to really question somebody's judgment at her most vulnerable, at her most scared, that just isn't nice. It's not nice. And that's you never know what's going through a woman's mind. You just never, never know. You know, Freedom for a woman is freedom about her reproductive rights. And if a woman does not have that, she's not free. That's right. And it's really the truth. Because then women, well, uh, maybe we'll lose the vote soon. (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But, you know, anything possible. Well, we're 51% of the population, and I think we are gaining also. I think we are. I think we are. But, you know. I think there there are people in the South who are trying to take voters' rights away too, and it's it's a strange time we're living in. That's for sure. It's always a strange time. It's it just it goes it goes in waves. It just goes in waves, and it's it's strange. It's a it's a it's a harrowing time for women though. Yeah, and women that don't have the means. Right. And it seems to be, it always reflects back on those women. And and the Janes, what they did, after they were finished with college, they stayed in Chicago and helped the women, the, the, the women that couldn't afford it. And they helped all sorts of women, very diversified group of women, you know, obtain... Um, you know, reproductive rights and health and, and help them along with what they needed. And they, they, you know, they, they were almost, they were counselors too. They didn't, they didn't want to 
everybody to have an abortion, but think about what you needed. So they helped them in that way. I mean, they were a brave group of young women, and they're, God, 19, 20 years old, so... It's, yeah, it's extraordinary. Also, when they told the abortion providers, when they sort of uh, uh, allowed someone to be part of their system or uh, or trusted a doctor enough to allow them to be in their system because the doctor was also perhaps somebody who could rat them out, they had to make sure they could trust these people, they'd say, well, how many is it, one or two a month? And they'd say, usually two or three a day. Mm-hmm. It grew. They, wow. they, they, they got, they, they had the phone number and it was, you know, you would call up and you'd say, I'm looking for Jane, leave a message and they would call you back. And it was the beginning of the answering machines. Yes, <laughs> right. Like, that's a big funny. part of the movie. Yeah, it the is. The answering machine. Yeah, about the size of a refrigerator. <laughs> you know, the other thing that I found very um, compelling about it is that the women who were enabling the Janes, the women who were part of this collective, they weren't slutty. They weren't. Some of them weren't were virgins. Mm-hmm. It wasn't about sex. It was really about power and giving these women an option so they wouldn't kill themselves. It was exactly that. I mean, that's how it truly started. It truly was the one classmate who really was going to take her life, and that's what really set it up. And the character Rose in in the movie, which is Heather Booth in real life, um, went out and tried to help her. And then it just got to be like, why, maybe we can help some. And the girls all knew, and they would call, and they said, well, maybe we can help everybody out. Let This is how we do it. So, And they went to get, they they auditioned doctors. They even learned the practice themselves, which, yes. you know, if we go back, you know, midwives were doing this for centuries. Right, right. It's not a complicated procedure. Um, there is a British series, maybe it's called The Midwife. It is called The Midwife. Where, where you see midwives doing it well because they yeah, had to they had to again it, you go back to cleopatra's life, time i'm sure they were doing it also they yeah. figured it out you know who was doing it in cleopatra's time mitch mcconnell <laughs> i think he was around then and i think he was probably you know just just he it got to him after a few thousand abortions <clears throat> now you are doing other films because this is something you obviously are good at and like to do. You're certainly a very organized, uh, <sighs> you know, you, multitasker. Well, multitasking. Well, you know, uh, we have the club. You know what it comes from? Um, it, it, it. I just want to do projects that I want to do that I feel that there's a. Uh, that people are interested in. It comes from, I think, sitting in that my showroom for so many years and watching certain comedians evolve and go, wow, that's going to be terrific. Mm-hmm. And I think it comes from that. I think it's from picking talent and picking what's good. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where I got my sense about it, of trying to, you know, to do to do things that I know people want to see. So. But you also gamble on talent, too. Like, I think this person really has it maybe they're not polished yet maybe Mm -hmm. we'll book them in a year maybe we'll book them now and let them open for somebody they can learn from well we do that i mean we we nurture talent that comes through and it's you know we've been doing that for years but you know sitting in a room like we mentioned richard lewis uh we mentioned gary shandling uh, jay leno jerry seinfeld um, you know, and Bill Maher. You Bill know, I Maher, watched Bill. Right? You know, I watched Bill, and I watched him for years in the room, 
and see where he went. And I still enjoy watching Bill Friday nights on HBO. Tell me something. Do you, when you look at the West Coast comedians, and largely comics have to travel around the country, you can't really be East or West, but but there is a, you know, there's been a lot of talk about um, uh, Mitzi Shore. Mitzi Shore, that was her name, out West. And, and I guess you're the, you're the, for better or for worse, you're, you're the Mitzi <laughs> of the East Coast. Is there a difference in the way comedy, you know, is it more car related in California? Is there a difference or is it that sort of gone? You know, it's basically most of these, the great comedians really started in New York. I can't say that. You know, it's like, Look, David Letterman did get his start out there, and he was hosting The Tonight Show, and he did always work at the Comedy Store, which was Mitzi's place. But if you look at, if you look at the Larry Davids and Jerry, and and you look at the people that came, Bill Burr right now, that came from the East Coast here, mm-hmm. um, and then made their way out to L.A. to create things, mm-hmm. I think that basically it's this East Coast New York, this corridor from here to Boston, mm-hmm. that really produced some of the best comedians around. Yeah. Um, I, I just think it is. I just think it's more of a melting pot of, 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 of really smart brains here. I, it just you know, every time I look at somebody, it's it's somebody from here, Chelsea Handler, New Jersey, right? right exactly, <laughs> Sarah <Amy> Silverman, <laughs> New Hampshire, Amy Schumer, right? And they all, a lot of them are now telling stories. Storytelling has taken uh, sort of some of what comedy used to do. I saw Mike Birbiglia's show, the new one. Mm-hmm. I couldn't have loved it more. I know, wasn't it good? So well written, so beautifully written, mm-hmm. but. That's an interesting. That's an interesting sort of development, isn't it? It is, but but Mike takes that show now. Mike did a charity benefit at the club the other night, and for the McEnroe Foundation. So Mike took bits of that and told a story, and it was hilarious. So he could break it up. He knows how to do that, which is basically what comedians do. Um, you could see, you could see when you. I saw Jerry Seinfeld at a benefit for his wife's charity at Carnegie Hall. And he tells these stories and they're just they're just great stories. And they just make you laugh because they put their spin on it, they put their sense of humor on it, they put their brand on it. So, you know, Mike's show was fabulous. It got really the most wonderful reviews. I'm sad he wasn't nominated for a Tony. That I was, was a, too. I was surprised. I, me too. Because the ruse, the reviews were outstanding, and it was and outstanding. It was. It was yeah, it he's was. taking that show, the new one on the road. Yes, I, just I, read. I, I was a co-producer on the show. Oh, congratulations! Uh, yeah, they asked me to come in, and I said, "Okay, let's, you know, let's do." And yes, and that was also taped. It was taped for Netflix, right. so that should be coming out, right? So other people can enjoy it, yeah. and then they'll want to go see him on the road, right? Absolutely. Oh, right, because live is better. Live, live is better. Live is always and they better. Get, you know, an inkling of what he does. Um, tell us about the documentary you're doing with comedians and their moms. Oh, this is something. F- this is a documentary with Comedy Central, and I'm producing this with Loki Films, Heidi and Rachel and who are wonderful producers. And um, I had this idea, and I, I said, what do you think about this? And they go, okay, let's do it. And Love right that. now it's, it's in the making, and it will be edited shortly and be ready probably for next Mother's Day. And it's called? What a Mother. <laughs> 
perfect. Perfect. Yeah, and so many, I mean, so many comedians start with family material, what it was like growing up. You well, know. you know, people always say to comedians, well, well, who was funny in your family? Right. You know, and sometimes you'll find this mom. Sometimes you'll find the dad. You know, sometimes sometimes no one was. Sometimes people didn't even talk. <laughs> but we, we went on the road and we went to visit mothers with, 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 with their children. And uh, we did in-studio interviews. We did, studio, we did interviews at the home. And uh, right now we're just finishing it up. So for next year. Well, that'll be a lot of fun. So, Caroline, five things that make your life better. Well, let's see. Um, I love to come home at night to my two, I call my puppies, they're three years old, and I have two bearded collies, uh, Stella and Sybil. And Are we, they twins? Uh, they're, the, yeah, we're not twins. They're sisters. They're, they were, they're sisters. There were many more. There were two. Uh-huh. The two that we, we took home, and um, we, I love them. They just put a smile on my face. And um, I don't, you know, it's just, it's just, you know, not having children and just coming home to the pups there, like so much fun. Do they get to sit on furniture, uh, sit on the bed? They, they do. Yeah. They, they do. Yeah. Because. Yeah. Because. Who can resist? Yeah. And you want them with you sometimes. You yeah. Know, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> you know, sometimes you want them there with you. Yeah. So that. Um, I have a home on Long Island, which I enjoy immensely. Uh, I love sharing that with my partner, Andrew Fox, Um, and uh, we have a great time out there. We have great friends on Long Island that we get to see on the weekends, and I just love that. Do you go there year-round? I do. Not as much. Pretty much more in the summer. Mm -hmm. Um, We get get really busy in New York with work. Yes. So summer. Not that the summer. You know, the summer at the club is really, it's amusing that, you know, we're busy like Every weekend. You know, right. we're busy 52 weeks out of the year. So, um, but take some time off in the summer more. And um, I uh, I collect art. So I have, like, a favorite piece, a Nevelson that I really love looking at. Mm, nice. Um, and um, I also, I really, um, you know, I play golf. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. I play golf. So, you know, golf is like... Um, I always say, you know, I'm going to stop playing. I just, I just need to stop playing because I'm not getting any better at it. Um, I don't get better because I don't practice enough. So that's another story. But uh, if there were one club in my my five rescue club, <laughs> <laughs> how fun! My five rescue club. Yeah. Um, and then also, I think my work is something I really enjoy. You know. I'm getting older and I talk about retiring and not doing what I'm doing, but I don't know. I, I, I think I need to keep busy. I think I enjoy what I do. I mean, sometimes I can get stressed out. Like this week with this with everything going on is a little stressful, but uh, when this all passes, this will be all good stuff. Um, so I, I like what I do and I get to laugh a lot. I mean, you know, I get to, la- <laughs> you know, people in my office, we're, they're all pretty funny, these kids that work there and, and the people that I meet and the comedians that work there and the stories that we have. So it's, it's, it's all good. It keeps the mind going, which I think is a great thing. Well, and it generates more joy and that's, how I, bad could that be? I, I, yeah, I think it's good. You know, it, it's, it's all good stuff. I, I was <laughs> I was interviewing some talent the other day, and we were talking about projects that we wanted to do. So for 45 minutes straight, I could not stop laughing that this man was so funny telling me stories about the comedy business. And I go, wait, wait who can work in an atmosphere like this and just laugh all day? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's mm-hmm. really great. Mm-hmm. 
I envy that. Yeah, that's wonderful. Well, the film is called Ask for Jane. It's opening Friday. Our guest is Caroline Hirsch, who has done such wonderful things with her life and enjoyed it. I think so. Yeah, I've enjoyed it. I have have no regrets. I don't know where the time went, though. That's the problem. I know, but you still look good, so that's... (laughs) So that's, you know, number six, your trainer. <laughs> oh, all right. We talked about that. Yes, 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 yes. yes. So, yes, my trainer of 20 years, Colleen. Well, yes, she's. God bless her. <laughs> and God bless us all. Thank you so much for joining us. And um, we will, again, the film is Ask for Jane, and it's at the Village East Theater Village on Friday. Opening. Today, Friday, 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 May 17th. Right. And it will open elsewhere as the spring. After this, yes. After, as the spring goes on and see it and believe it because that's how things were and we sure don't want them to go that way again. Thank you. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Five Things That Make Life Better with your host, Lisa Birnbach. Same moi. My guest this week was Caroline Hirsch, founder and owner of Caroline's on Broadway and the New York Comedy Festival and producer of Ask for Jane. You can go to carolines.com to keep up with her and all she does. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play Music, and YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is produced in New York City by thefieldtv.com and always engineered by Jimmy Regan. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe. Until next week, stay cool and act natural. Bye-bye. That was Five Things with Lisa Birnbach. New episodes every Friday, if she remembers. <laughs>